0: good luck preaching after that um, he said to himself <laughs> uh, let's turn together to Ezekiel 36 uh, glad that you're here with us this morning um, we're in a series uh, that will kind of uh, ebb and flow out of different uh, different parts of the story of the gospel and uh, basing it largely in Jeremiah 2. Uh, and there in that passage, God is addressing Israel and he calls them my people. He says, my, my people have forsaken me, is what he gets into. He says, and they've turned away from me uh, and they've turned to their own, their own sources, basically. He says, I'm a fountain of living water and they're over here digging, digging wells that are not even going to hold water at all. And in their case, it was the worship of, other, of these idols, of these carved, graven images. And so he sends a prophet in to tell them, Hey, you've, uh, you have um, slipped into something that you may not even realize it. That, that you have turned your back on the Lord and you're turning to these created things. And he's calling you back. And that's what we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks. But starting off, though, he calls them my people. And that's a really important part of the story, that he's trying to help them understand, hey, this is not who you are. Like, this, this is not, like, inherently, fundamentally, this is not consistent with your identity. And um, so we're going to hang out there a little bit first. Because... Our identity in, in Christ and what he says about us and who, who he has made us, uh, it's from, from that identity that we act and think and uh, make our decisions and, and everything. And so uh, last week, and in community groups this last week as well, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, where God uses the same language to talk about us He makes this incredible identity statement about us that is not describing us, it is defining us. He says, when I look at you, here's what I see. Chosen, royal, holy, mine, my sons, my daughters, my people. Um, This is incredibly significant on so many levels. And so what I want to do this this morning is, uh, is kind of tagging on to last week and probably next week as well uh, to talk about this identity of ours because uh, for some of you, you've heard this for a long time, and this will just be reminding you of some things, reinforcing some things. Uh, but also, I remember hearing this for the first time. Like I... I remember sitting in the BCM Chapel and uh, my friend David, uh, David Loria, who you, maybe you know, his dad came and spoke at a summer TNT. And David kept saying, he's like, I've just never really heard anybody explain the gospel the way my dad explains it. And we were like, how can, you, how can it be that different? You know, And he laid this stuff out there before us. And we were like, okay, I can never, ever be the same after hearing that. I don't understand it, but there's, there's something resonating very deeply. And so whether you're, on, you're hearing it for the very first time or that you've heard it a whole bunch and God just wants to reinforce some things, let's just keep listening to what he wants to say to us. Um, so in order to understand what it means to be the people of God, we have to understand what happened, what happens to you when you place your faith in Christ, like in that moment. And if you've never done this before, if that's not a a conversation you've ever had with God of needing to put your faith in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, you don't need to leave here today without that happening. And I'll stay as long as you want after this and be glad to talk with you about it. Now, when that happens in that moment, there's there's some some things going on that you can't really see. So God tells us in the book this is, this is what it's, this is part of what's going to happen and so way back in Ezekiel's day he's pointing forward and saying well when the Messiah comes this is what is going to all be entailed in there and so in Ezekiel 36 uh, if you were to read that whole chapter and chapter 37 which is a crazy chapter so if you like craziness read that not now later uh, but uh, 37 just illustrates 36. Uh, I'm going to do what I what I was trained to not do uh, in terms of being a Bible teacher, is I'm going to just pull these verses out of out of the middle. And I'm not going to tell you what comes before it and the context and the history and all that kind of stuff, but there's not time for that this morning. So you, I just need you to roll with it. Trust me, don't turn me into the authorities or anything like that. Uh, but we're going to jump right into the middle of this chapter uh, into verse, we're going to look at uh, 25, 26, 27, 28, one at a time. This will help, I think, us understand even more deeply what it means to be the people of God. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Okay. Now, you'll notice that in these verses, God is saying, I will do this. Like He's making these promises of things that he will do. In the original covenant, the old covenant that He made with the Israelites on Mount Sinai, when He brought the Ten Commandments and on the stone tablets, uh, all of those uh, you have probably you're probably familiar with the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt do this, 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 this. Thou shalt not do this, this, this. It's a lot of uh, you will do this or you will you need to not do this, but you will statements. And now. God is bringing to the table a series of I will statements. He's not telling us to do anything. He's saying, here's what I'm, I'm going to do. And there's a lot of reason for that. We'll get to that in a, in a few minutes. But notice that this is different. He's making promises. And you've either said yes to those promises or you're thinking about saying yes to those promises. But you need to say yes to those promises. He starts off, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Now, to a Jewish audience, the sprinkling of clean water was always tied to the worship of God in some of the ritual senses. And it's something that the priests would always do is they would wash their hands with clean water before they would handle anything that was sacred or holy. And it was a way of saying, "Like God has, like God is, has forgiven my sins. Like my hands are clean, so now I can operate in this holy way." So, the Jewish audience would have heard sprinkling of clean water, and they would have immediately gone to forgiveness. He's speaking to this nation who has abandoned him, and God has not come to them and said, "Hey, this is completely irreversible. Sorry to tell you, uh, nothing can be done." He's offering them this beautiful thing that we call hope. He's saying in this new arrangement, I'll I'll forgive you. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. I'll clean you from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now this is this is good news to anyone who's ever messed up. Good news to anyone who's ever looked at the Lord and looked at something created and said, I don't think that you can give me what this thing can give me. This person, this substance, this whatever. Anyone who has ever chosen their own way over what God has for them, this is great news. Because he's saying, I'm offering you forgiveness for that. And when he says, all your uncleannesses and all your idols... Uh, If you do a deep dive into the original language of Hebrew, the word all means all. So there's no exception in there. There's no wiggle room in there. He's saying, nope, all of it. All the dumb things you've done, all the dumb things you will do, all the dumb things you're doing in this very moment, all of it is included. You can't make yourself an exception to what God has said. You can't. And that's really good news too. Because we're always looking for a reason why we're an exception to things. I don't know why we're we're just weird that way, but God says all your uncleanness, all your idols, all means all. And so that's a heck of a start right there. Doesn't matter if you feel clean. You ever not feel clean about some of the decisions that we've made? You feel like that's lingering in some sort of way well that's because shame and sin are like like partners right it's just kind of how it works and so when when we have like messed up in some way or whatever it might be and you have that realization there is a shame that's there and so you feel unclean some way and what Jesus would weigh in and says well I said it in the verse right there that you are clean now, if you feel unclean, then that's a feeling. That's not a fact about you. That's a description of the emotional state of your being. It's not a reflection of your identity in that moment. And so, yes, you are a clean person who has chosen to act like out of your old ways. That you're just acting inconsistently with who you are. But that whatever you have done has not changed your identity. You're not that awesome. You're not that powerful. You're not. That's just not how it works. You can't undo what God has done. So you feel weird about stuff, there's the good kind of feeling weird about it, which is called conviction. There's the bad kind, which is called shame. Shame is a liar from the enemy. Conviction is from the spirit that's saying, all that conviction is doing is God screaming at you, this is not who you are. You have been healed of this. You've been cleaned from this. That's where the dissonance is found. So he starts off with this incredible, I will cleanse you, clean you from all your idolatry, and all your uncleanness. And then it keeps getting better. Look at verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Okay? There's, that's a lot in there. Um, new heart, new spirit. Now, this the spirit part, he talks about in the next verse, so we'll get there. Let's talk about this new heart uh, situation. Um it says in the second half of that verse I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh All right so the heart in the bible is the is the seedbed of everything that you are and what god is telling us is that your heart like when you were born your spiritual seedbed is like stone Stone is not alive. It's not, it's not uh, alive at all. And so he's trying to help them and us see the spiritual death that we were born into. That's why Israel couldn't keep ten rules. Just ten, you know. You might can keep ten. Ten, do this, either do this or don't do this, but ten rules... And it's because they were so arrogant and prideful, just like a lot of us, that they were like, "Oh, we can do, we can do that. We can alter our behavior and keep ten rules." And then generations were proving that to be false over and over again. You can't keep ten. You can't even keep one. Why? Because your heart, your heart is stone. God gave them those rules because they needed, they needed to experience. Their own death in that way. They had to get to the point where they said, something is wrong with us. And it's not our, it's not about behavior. It's, there's something inside of us that's wrong. So he starts to send his prophets in and say, yeah, I've got great news for people who, who have an internal problem that they can't fix. I'll fix it. I'll take out that heart of stone and I'll replace it with something that is alive. So it says, I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of Flesh. So what is a what does a heart of flesh do that a heart of stone can't do? a heart of flesh uh, is alive, first of all. So I'll bring you from death to life. Now you have this heart of flesh, and now you're able to to feel because you're alive. You're able to love. You're able to hate still. You're able to choose God now when you had a heart of stone, you couldn't choose God no matter how you child. Now you can choose him, but you can still choose yourself. And so now you have this uh this beautiful gift of of uh being able to choose the holy way of God and you can still choose the old way of death, too. It says, I'll remove the heart of stone, I'll give you the heart of flesh, and now your whole life is different. Now everything about you is different. Every like your entire pathway is going to look different. Because you're not who you used to be. If if God takes out the heart, that's taking out the identity of stone and putting in the identity of flesh, that you you are recreated. You're not just resuscitated and brought back to life. You're a different person than you were before. Your fundamental identity has changed. And so when I talk about identity... I'm talking about the the place where we find our inherent worth and value. And he says, Yeah, well your inherent worth and value are different now than they were. Because you were spiritually dead and now you are alive. And so that exchange, like that word exchange, is very, very important. And I keep doing this. I did it this morning too. But that's that's what I think about and i mean i love a good movie reference right remember indiana jones Raiders of the lost art opening scene there's a little idol sitting there on the, on the deal and he like has to swap out the idol for the bag of dirt or something like that and make it sure it weighs the same that's what i keep that's what i think about when i think about this exchange um, is that there there was something there and god literally just like swapped it out that when you said yes to Jesus, he was like, okay, let me take that heart of stone, let me do spiritual surgery, let me, cut, let me take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and now you're not the one you used to be. It's not even that the caterpillar has become the butterfly, it's that the stone has become alive. You know, like There's a complete transformation that is there. And so, we as the people of God are not only forgiven, but we're changed, like we're, we're different. We're not just any old group of people so he says I'll take out the, the heart of stone take out the, the the dead like the death and I'll put my life inside of you and then verse 27 I'll put my spirit within you verse 26 he says a new spirit verse 27 he calls it this is my spirit. Put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now when he says my spirit, uh, we studied all summer about the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. He's forecasting what's going to happen. That his spirit is going to dwell within you and his spirit will enable you, empower you, and teach you how to live the life you were always meant to live in the first place. Like you you can live the Jesus life because he, his spirit empowers you to do that. You can live inside the kingdom of God r- right now because he empowers you to do that. If you look at the next verse, he pulls it into that familiar language that we've been using. Verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God, he comes to his people and he says, how about this? I'll cleanse you. I'll exchange the stone heart that you bring to the table for the heart of flesh that I created you to live with and make you alive. And I'll put my spirit within you to empower you and to teach you how to live the life you were created to live before sin came in and broke you. That's what it means to be my people. Do you want do you want in? That's what he's communicating through Ezekiel to this nation of his own. It's what he's communicating to us in this room today and say this this is what Jesus is going to come and do. For us, on this side of the the history timeline, we're able to see, oh, he was talking about Jesus. Jesus came and forgave us through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And then when he ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us and fill us. Like These verses are ours. In Ezekiel, they're looking forward in time, and now we're looking right now. God has done this very thing. This is what it means to be the people of God. This is why we're not we're not like everybody else. Not saying I don't mean that we're better than anyone or anything like that, but like to the people of God we're not like everyone else. Our identity is different. It's not just that we find it in another place. It is fundamentally different that we are alive and forgiven and we're his. So when he looks at us and he says, "I chose you, you're my royal priesthood, my holy nation," You are people for my possession. He's talking about this stuff. That you are not the one you used to be. I'm not the one that I used to be. He comes to us and he says, I will do all these things so that you can be who I created you to be in the first place. All it, It's just faith in Christ. That's... Do you believe that this is what God has done? And it's ours. And so, if, if, that, if all that is true, which I believe that it is, the Bible says that it is, and I think you believe it is as well, we have to recognize that a part of what His Spirit is empowering us to do is to live in a world that takes a completely different approach to identity and worth and value. We are trained Coached, programmed in a sense to find our sense of worth and value in other places. It's, it's the world that we live in. Not only the world that we live in, it's the world that we're handing off to our kids. And they'll handle it to their kids. It's, it's a part of the brokenness that is here. And then you have the people of God scattered around the world Saying, "Yeah, that we're we're that's not us. We're not we're not wired up that way because we we know who we are." And so, in the next couple of weeks, we'll we're going to get into some of the some of those things because that's really what this this passage in Jeremiah two is talking about is forsaking God, the source. And trying to find our own sources by digging holes in the ground, letting them fill up with water. You know, we'll look at one of the things we turn to, but first we have to understand that fundamentally, that's just, it's because it's not who we are. It's not just those are bad choices. It's no, those are contrary to our identity. Um, a couple of years ago, I showed a movie clip that uh, that I think il- helps like illustrate the world that we live in. And not only like where our sense of identity comes from, but what that drives us to do. And so uh, I'm going to show we'll show the clip. It's from the movie Gladiator, um, and I'm not trying to get like man points or something like lame like that by showing a Gladiator clip. It's just a really good, I think, illustration of something. So uh, it's just like a minute long. If you're watching by live stream, we're gonna have to like be creative with this so that the uh, the filters and stuff from YouTube don't like cut us. Okay, so if you're watching my live stream, we're gonna pull the audio down. And we're gonna go to like the wide shot and just hang hanging there with us. It'll be fine. If you're here in the room, let's watch this clip. Uh, King looks nervous. Okay. Um, so in this, in this moment in the movie, he just makes this declaration of who he is and what his intentions are. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a movie, I understand. We're talking about a character. But that scene, I feel like, reflects something about our world. Let's, let's look at the quote. Let me break it down a little more closely. He starts off, he says his name. His name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Uh, if any of you are looking for baby names there 's three uh, three that are available right there uh, and but in in that there 's something about our names, and what that makes me think of is also like our reputation like what people what people think about us and how important that is like what an identity marker that can be for us uh, because we spend a lot of time let 's like it, and I'm not, talking about, I'm not saying like living hope people do this. I'm saying like culturally speaking, we spend a lot of time trying to manage what people think about us. We want their approval. And so there are, are certain things that we're coached about, like coached up to do or not do in order to keep people thinking that we're cool or funny or successful or whatever it might be. Like so that our name carries a certain reputation with it. Uh, it, it, it gives us inc- incredible highs when people think well of us and it, and it ter- brings us way down when people think poorly of us. And so by him saying his name, it just made me think like, what do people associate when they hear your name? You want them. It's important to you that they think certain things. So that can be an identity marker. And then he, he rattles off, uh, it says commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, um, that makes me think of his his like his career as a military uh, military general, and also his accomplishments that he has worked his way through the ranks. Like he's laying out his resume, and that makes you realize what a like how much identity we find in what we do for a living. Um, whether that makes us think that we're better like greater than we are, or it, or, or maybe we're insecure about it sometimes. Um, our accomplishments, you know, there's, there's such a theme of people feeling, uh, like pressure put on their like parents or their hometown or different things. to like, uh, do certain things or achieve certain heights and that kind of stuff. And so we, we put so much value in that. that it kind of becomes like another like source of like either building up our egos or like feeding our insecurities. And, uh, just what a big role that that stuff plays and then he references himself as a father and as a husband, and to me that that's a reminder of how much those like relationships uh, can be identity markers whether it's about marriage or about having kids uh, or uh, certain like groups of friends and that and those kinds of things of like uh, you, our culture puts so much uh, emphasis on that to where you almost you almost feel like there are times when it's like um, People are like, no, I, like I am, I am a mom, you know. And you can say I'm a mom, that's fine, but you can also say I am a mom, and you're you're making an identity statement. Like your entire worth and and value and everything is tied up in that. Uh, and so, whether it could be all kinds of different relationships uh, that we use as identity markers, uh, then he references the tragedies of his uh, of his life. And, uh, spoiler, his, his wife and his son were killed by uh, Joaquin. And so, um, they, uh, that's a part of the storyline. And it makes me think about our experiences and how uh, some of the great things, but a lot of times the really difficult things that we've been through, can become sources of our identity as well. Uh, and especially, like, uh, as much work with trauma and abuse as our church has gotten into in the last year and starting to realize like how much some of those labels, whenever we're labeling things that have happened to us, like uh, how easily that becomes like a, like a I am statement instead of this happened to me statement. Um, so this is experiences. Uh, and then he concludes, he says, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. If you take everything else he said, his name, his accomplishments, his career, his, his relationships, his experiences, all of that pushed together is now leading him to act in a certain way. I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. This is, this is what's going to happen now. And if, if we step back from the movie a little bit, I think there's, that's a pattern, you know. If we're finding our identity and our worth and our value in, in these different things, whether it's these on, on that, that I just listed or, or anywhere else, and we're pulling them together, and that kind of packs this idea of like, okay, well, this is who I am. From there, we make a lot of decisions. From there, we, we choose how to spend our time. From there, we choose how to spend our money. From there, we, that's how we interact with people. From there, that determines which version of you comes home from work every day, you know. Um, and it's always morphing and changing as well. And so we're, we're, we're taught that that's, that's who you are. It's all these things pushed together. And as you go through life and all those things morph and change, your identity morphs and changes. And so the outworking of that into decisions morphs and changes. And so we're just like constantly just a mess, it seems like. That's why some of you, who, are, whatever age you are now, go back 10 years ago and look how different you are now. It's because a lot of the things you were taught to find your identity in 10 years ago have all changed. And so now you're struggling to find your identity in this and this. and you know that's, that's the worldly pattern that we are caught up in. And I'm not putting that on you. You might be like, nope, that's not me. I figured this out. Good. But most of us are kind of doing a little bit of both. Most of us are, are finding identity in, in Christ where it's supposed to be. And we're kind of like dabbling in some of those other things as well. And I think a part of what God is doing in our congregation this fall is like putting like the mirror up up here somewhere and saying, do, do you want to look and let's, let's, see, let's see what life really looks like for you. Let's, let's look and see if your identity is being found in the created or in the creator. And to let him affirm and say, in these ways you are absolutely finding your identity in me. But, but there are a couple on the other side too. Are you willing to humble yourself and bring yourself before him? Because you know the thing about, about finding our identity the way the world tells us? Is not only will those things fail us and are they broken and will they morph and change. And there's all kinds of reasons why those things are not good. But you know what the you know what the main thing is? It's all a lie. Like it's all a lie. None of it is who you are. None of it is who I am. Everything that we actually are is over here, where God is saying, "Royal, chosen, holy, mine." That's true. This is all just a facade, and. So we find ourselves walking through down the path of righteousness, letting him teach us, hey, that's not, that's not true about you. This is true about you. Hey, that's not where you find your worth and your value. This, th- this is where you find your worth and your value. Hey, the, like, be careful with that success. Hey, be careful with that failure. Hey, be careful that you're, you're letting your kids' accomplishments uh, like puff you up too much or you're letting your kids' failures bring you down too much. Hey, your integrity at work is a little bit wobbly right now, isn't it? Like, like, starting to look at some of those kinds of things and recognize, like, oh, that's the reason I'm caught up in that is because I'm looking at those for the identity that's actually mine in Christ the whole time. I've, I've just been looking in the wrong place. I've been looking at a lie instead of looking at what's true. And we do that. That's called the path of righteousness for his namesake. That's what we follow him down. And he's there with forgiveness, and our heart has been exchanged, and his spirit is living within us. Like, that's, that's all of it put together. And that's what life looks like. And so, it's an, it's an incredible, amazing thing that he's invited us into. Like, uh, I think that the gospel, like, it's one of the, those things in life that just gets more beautiful the more you study it and the, the longer you walk in it. Um, and I hate how I feel like uh, there are a lot of a lot of people in our family, like in our not our church family, but just the family of God. A lot of sons and daughters who who are who walk in so much shame and darkness, and just always felt like God was like was. A part of what this thing that we're doing together was to try to bring these kind of truths to the surface, you know. Um, and so I hope I hope that this like resonates with you. I hope there's a part of you that is like either, like I said earlier, either being reminded or hearing it for the first time. And it's like there's, there's some like serious truth in what God is saying to us. First Peter two verse nine. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Then it says this that you might that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That that's that's what it means to be the people of God. Like as 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 we are realizing in more and more deep ways our, like who we really are, it leads to the, the proclamation of the excellencies of him who has called us. You know? like it, it, it drives us to act as well. See, if, if, if our friend Maximus has this misplaced identity and it's leading him to vengeance... There's a pattern there. We can look. We can look at the behaviors and the outcomes of things, and usually trace those back to like, man, I'm finding my identity somewhere else. But you could do the same thing with the Lord. When you're like, why? Like, when my identity is placed in in Him and the right thing, I'm I'm driven to proclaim His excellencies. And that doesn't mean that you're. That doesn't mean that, like uh, like I said in the early service, you don't have to walk around singing worship songs at the top of your lungs at work to be the one proclaiming his excellencies. There's, there's all kinds of contextual ways to do that, but but it's more about, do you just find yourself grateful? Do you find yourself like wanting to, to thank him and for people to know? Are you driven to make your home a place where the excellencies of what God has done, that's like a known thing? Does that drive you into like loving your neighbors well? And does it drive us as a church that this part of Baton Rouge would know the excellencies of him who's called us? And so you don't have to live in darkness. I have a light that is inc- more incredible than anything you'll ever know. He's done all this so that we can proclaim his excellency. And so when our identity is being launched out of the right stuff, the true things about us, we we want to do those things and so i hope that's a part of what is being evoked you know is this sense of love and gratitude for the lord and what he has done because you can't read ezekiel 36 and feel very prideful when god comes to you and says i'll take it all into my own hands all we can do is be humble and say thank and say thank Thank you. You know, and so I hope this does stir us in this in this way. The beginning of First John three verse one says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are." Uh, that's an identity statement. That we, the sons and daughters of God, we're the people of God. We're not. We're. We're not like everybody else. And he's done this that we could proclaim his excellencies. And so that's what we're going to do as we close uh, this morning. Now, for you, that might look like prayer. For you, that might look like singing. Um, and uh, maybe you just want to listen, you know. Whatever you need to do, we want to give ourselves a few minutes to respond to the things that he's stirring among us. And so. Uh, Let's stand together and pray as our musicians come back. And as you stand, I want you to think about yourself, Um, not in the typical ways that your world has trained you to think of yourself but to to think of yourself through the lens of the Lord to see yourself as a son or as a daughter to see yourself as uh, someone that God has chosen to adopt into his family Um as a part of a priesthood that's helping connect one another to the Lord as a, a nation that is set apart and holy and not like anything else on the planet. As part of a people that are his own possession. If he looks at you, he, he sees you as his. He doesn't look at your track record. He doesn't look at your, um, <laughs> your bank account. He doesn't look at what you do for a living. He doesn't look at your status in any way, shape, or form. He looks at you and he sees what Christ has done. Think about yourself as being sprinkled with clean water. And forgiven of all your uncleanness and idolatry. Think of yourself as having uh, had spiritual surgery, where He removed that heart of stone that symbolized your spiritual death, and He's given you His heart, His spirit. Now that you, now you're able to think and feel and choose the Lord. The Spirit is within you, empowering you, so that you can learn in an increasing manner to choose him over yourself or over the pressures of the world around you. He's training you and morphing you and He's helping your the way you live your life catch up with this new identity that is yours. stand among the family of God, the sons and daughters of God. You stand here not as a, labeled as a sinner, but your identity is that of a saint. But all of that pales in comparison to the goodness of the one who looked at you and set all that into motion. And none of that is because you earned it. It's because of a kind and beautiful and generous Savior looked at you and made those promises and extended that kind of grace to you, that his goodness and his mercy have been following you all the days of your life and will continue to do so until you dwell in his house forever. As much as that says about you and I, and it says a lot more about him, He's done all this that we proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of all that darkness and into a light that is marvelous and infinite and uh, ours. And so let's sing together this morning and proclaim those excellencies uh, not only to one another, but also directly to him.